The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Is there hockey and pizza in heaven? I still remember sitting in the pew of my great-grandmother's funeral as I was a young boy and hearing the pastor talk about Oma being in a better place and thinking to myself, what exactly is that better place? Will it be fun? My definition of fun was eating pizza and playing hockey. And how do we know that we will go there? Maybe, maybe you've had that same thought. Or for some of us, you know, questions about heaven and hell, about eternity, about what happens next for us are becoming more and more imminent, more and more important to us every single day that we live because we recognize that, that the day that we will learn more about this is closer than we realized. Over time, there have been different ideas about heaven that have crept into the church and made us wonder, you know, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about heaven? One idea that we've heard a lot of is one that goes a little bit like this. And I used this illustration before, so bear with me. But here is a line that represents our life. And this is Earth. Right? And we find ourselves somewhere on that line. Uh, for some of us who are younger, we're more closer to the beginning. For some of us who are older, we may find ourselves a little bit closer to the end. And, and Earth is, is a place you know, that, that can be beautiful, right? It can be, it can be full of good things like you know, good food. It can be full of good relationships. It can be full of, of beautiful arts and, and um, time that we can spend in, in creation. But it can also be a quite, quite a sad place too, can it? There are, there are things that happen. There's suffering. There's pain. There is the breakdown of relationships that we experience. And so we find ourselves somewhere along the line here, and, and experiencing earth in good and bad ways. But at some point in our life, we will either go to heaven, which is somewhere up there. It's the place where we want to go. It's the place that people talk about most positively. Or to hell, somewhere down below us, right? Somewhere very hot very uncomfortable, and a place that nobody ever talks about as being a place where you want to go, right? And living holy lives is how we, we are, it's decided which one of these two things that we will, where we will end up. If we do m good things, if we live our life, you know, knowing the right things, maybe for some of us that means uh, believing in Jesus, then we will go to heaven when we die, and if we don't uh, say a certain prayer or believe a certain thing, then we will end up at the place where we don't want to go. This is a, a view that's crept its way into the church. And it's a problem because of, for a number of reasons, but one of it being because the Bible never talks about heaven and hell like this. 
This is not what the Bible teaches. And so what I want to do is take a few weeks where we can talk about what does the Bible actually talk about when we think about heaven? What, what is the Bible teaching about heaven? This is very important because what we believe about where we will go after we die or what happens to us after we die has an immediate impact on how you live your life tomorrow. You may not think it. You may, if you're younger, a younger person, you may think, I don't have to think about this for a long time. I've got a lot of life ahead of me. Right? But how are you going to live that life? How you live that life now is going to be dictated by what you believe about your future, your eternal future. An example. So imagine there's two people, um, and they're both given the same job. Okay, They're both um, given the same contract. They are going to be bricklayers for the next 20 years of their life. Okay, Every day, nine hours a day, they're going to be laying brick, one after another. But not just just brick in, a, in, a, in, a, in the standard sense, but they're going to be building a city. They're going to be working to build a city. Okay, Both people are given the same contract, the same wage, the same time, the same um, working conditions, except for one difference. One of them is told, you're going to work for the next 20 years. You're going to lay this brick and then you're going to be zapped off into another place and you're never going to see your work again. The other one is told, you're going to work hard. You're going to lay this brick for the next 20 years. You're going to build this city. And this city is going to be part of something beautiful. This city is going to be made into something even better. And it will bless a lot of different people. For, for ever and ever, this city will be a beautiful place. The one person starts working and starts grumbling. This work is getting boring. Why do I have to do the same thing over and over again for the next 20 years? And the other person says to them, it's actually not that bad. Like, think about what we're contributing to. Think of what we're a part of. Right? Think of what our work, is, what the meaning of our work is. Two people doing the exact same thing, two different ideas of what the future holds, drastically changes how they do their work the next day. What we believe about heaven changes how we live our lives tomorrow. Right? So how do we, how do we talk about this? Well, um, we just read the, the account, the creation, the creation of heaven and earth, right? And uh, if we're going to think about what does the Bible talk about heaven and earth, it would be a good place to go uh, to where it says, wouldn't it be good to, to go to a place where it says explicitly, this is what heaven and earth is about? If only, oh, wait a second, what does it say in verse 4? This is the account of the heavens and the earth. Right? And so, okay, let's keep reading, like what we just did. Right? Because if we're going to, to, to learn more about heaven and earth, we, we better go to the place where it talks about it, and that's Genesis 2. It's the, it's, it's, it's the place where we need to go, right? So, so we start reading the story. And we read a story about a God who, who, who loves people and creates a space where he is a provider for mankind. 
right? He, he builds a, a, a garden and places the man in the garden. It tells us that God, God created all sorts of trees, all sorts of living things, right? All sorts of, all sorts of um, beautiful things for humans to experience. And he gives the, jo- the, the man a job. He imp- he's a God who empowers people. He gave the man the job of tending the garden, but also for naming things, right? He gives real power and authority. God isn't done yet, right? He continues to care for and provide for humankind. When he looks at his creation, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone, right? I will make a helper for him. And so God brings all the animals that he created. He brings all the, the cats and dogs and the, the cows and the chickens and, and the, the rhinos and the elephants. And he, he says to the man, name these, right? God is not a micromanaging God. But no suitable helper for, for Adam could be found. And so, so the Lord God said, said, it's not good yet. I need to create a helper for the man. And so he, he caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and took, took from him part of his body and, and formed another living being called a woman. Right? And the man is so happy with, with what God has done for him. We look at this story because we live in it. Right? We, we see this story and we say, I recognize the things that are going on here. This is the place where I live. I, I know trees because I see trees every day. Right? I know what a river is because I can walk down my street maybe and see a river. Right? We know the earth part of this. But, but remember, we're not just reading this story for earth. We're also reading this story for a description of heaven. And so how come this story ends here? Is, is heaven, like, a left out? Does God create the earth, describe how he's created the earth, and then leave heaven out of it? Is it something where you have to pay extra to get the version of the Bible that has the description of heaven into it? Or did we just read a description of heaven and earth? Have you ever felt different being in someone else's presence before. Because the way that the Bible describes heaven and earth is that they are two different realms. There's heaven and there's earth. And in Eden, in the creation of the world, they are pushed together and there's overlap. Maybe you've um, you know, uh, looked up to somebody somebody you respect, somebody you want to be maybe when you grow up, or, or, or maybe somebody you're in love with. Right? And, and that person walks into the room that you're in. Right? You know that there is power from being in that person's presence. You can feel it. Maybe you feel a little bit nervous. Maybe you feel a little bit anxious. The way that the Bible talks about heaven and earth is that they are two, two different realms that overlap. And when, they're over, when they overlap, beautiful things happen. This is important because 
God says that his, his creation isn't done either. He says that it's very good, but he also says that, that he's given a job to the gardener to, to, to do more with what, what he's given to them. God gives humankind things to work with, things to make something out of. You know, Adam plants flowers here, pulls weeds here. There's a lot of work that God still has Adam and Eve to do, but it's all in the overlap of heaven and earth. That's where God's space and human space are meant to be. And God gives Adam and Eve the job of representing God by doing the work in the garden. As we continue the story, though, we see that it doesn't end there. You know, in the garden there were trees, and one of the trees God told Adam and Eve not to eat from. God provided for them food, right? He's a, he's a provider God, but, but, but he told them not to eat from one. And by telling Adam and Eve not to eat from one tree, God said, you know, to live in the overlap, to live in heaven and earth, you have to trust that I love you. You have to trust that I know what I'm doing, and you have to listen to me. I love the, the version, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. She puts this story so well, so I thought, I can't say it any better than this, so I'm going to read it to you. Don't worry, I've given you pictures. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, and that's all you need, and you'll be happier than you ever could dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some. And Adam ate some, too. And a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. And it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. A dove flew from Adam's hand. A deer darted into the thicket. It was as if they were frightened by something. A chill was in the air. Something strange was happening. They had always been naked, but now they, had felt, they felt naked and wrong. They didn't want anyone to see them, so they hid. Later that evening, as God was taking his walk, he called to them, children. Usually, Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice, and they would run to him, but this time, they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you? God called. Hiding, Adam said. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? God asked them. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done? God asked. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And a terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken one rule. They'd broken their wonderful relationship with him, 
And now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel, come undone, and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was supposed to live forever. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world. And it would never leave. God's children would always be running away from him, hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever. Not in such pain. Not without him. There was only one way to protect him. You will have to leave the garden now. God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them and sent them on a long, long journey out of their garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would be all over. And that would have been the end. But not this story. God loved his children too much to let this story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan. A magnificent plan. One day, he would make their world perfect again. One day, he would wipe every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Jesus is God's rescue mission to us. See, Jesus was fully God space, fully human space. Fully heaven and fully earth combined. That's what the incarnation means. It means that heaven is walking on this earth, and Jesus acts like it, right? He, he acted like walking heaven. Everywhere he went, he righted wrongs. He restored relationships. He called people to repent and believe, for the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus came to this earth for one mission, to reconnect heaven and earth. See, the night before Jesus was crucified, he took his disciples to a garden, another garden, a much tougher garden, a garden called Gethsemane, so that he could pray. And this turned into one of the most difficult nights in anyone's history. It was, it was, it was a tougher night than, than, than when the serpent came into the Garden of Eden to tempt Eve. See, Jesus knew that only in a matter of hours he would experience death. He would, he would experience suffering, and he was tempted to bail. It got so hard for Jesus. Remember, fully God, fully human. It got so hard for him to stay on his mission that he wanted to bail. It's, you know, you, you're running a race, right? And you get to the last two kilometers, and you know that this is going to be the hardest Hardest thing that you've done. Marathon runners will tell you that there's two parts to a marathon. There's the first, whatever, 35 kilometers and the last seven, right? That last little bit is always the hardest because your body starts to break down and you experience, you experience the reality of, of, of 
of what you're in, what you're in the midst of. And that was the night in the Garden of Gethsemane for Jesus. He was so stressed that he, he sweat drops of blood. He was on death road, and guess what? He was tempted, just like you and I are tempted. When we, when we sin, when we, break, when we break God's commands for us to, to run and hide, you know? When we, when, we want, when we sin, we're tempted to run. And Jesus wanted to run away from what was happening, but he didn't. He didn't. Jesus responded the way Adam and Eve should have responded in the garden. When the serpent was tempting him, when Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus passed the test in the garden and went all the way in obedience with his father, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And he died on the cross to bring us back. See, when Jesus cried uh, on, on the cross in a loud voice, it is finished, and he died, there was something that happened. The temple curtain, the one that, that separated the Holy of Holies, which is God's, God's living room, which is the, the, the overlap in, in Jewish, the Jewish um, culture of heaven and earth was in, in the temple. The, 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 the curtain split from top to bottom. Jesus reconnected heaven and earth. What does this mean for us? It means that, that it's been satisfied. It's been finished. There is a reconnect, an overlap that is possible between God's space and our space through Jesus Christ. Ray Ortland describes this when he talks about how Jesus has redefined eternal life. He says, Jesus and the entire New Testament redefines eternal life once and with great precision. And it's largely been lost in our day. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one and only God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That they may know you. We have to remember that we are becoming a people. God is remaking us through Jesus. And we can experience today the overlap of heaven and earth. Maybe you know something in your life is off. Maybe you have an addiction to something going on. Maybe you're battling mental illness or health issues. Perhaps you find yourself working, working, and working and unable to find meaning. We can rest in the fact that it is finished. That God is present in our lives. We don't have to wait until heaven to experience heaven here. Jesus Christ has reconnected these things and invades our heart. Eternal life, living at the collision of heaven and earth, begins the moment that we say, I need you and I can't do it myself. Repentance is the entranceway into eternal life. It's how God invites us into a relationship with him, and we can find him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 
giving us Jesus Christ who reconnects heaven and earth, who, who brings us back into a relationship with you, a relationship where we don't have to fear being uh, cast out from your presence ever again. Lord, that on the cross, when you turned your face away from Jesus, you, you, he took upon himself the, the, the punishment that, that we deserved. And so now we can experience a relationship forever. Lord, help us to take this and, and to make it real in our hearts, Lord, as we continually uh, turn away from, from our sin and towards you. Lord, help us to become more like you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.